Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Gilbert. Thank you. Um, yes, so thank you all for coming. And um, I'm looking forward to sharing some of the thoughts that I've had about this passage. Do I need to turn this on, Ralph? It's on. Okay. Um, um, before I start properly, I just... Um, list out the people I've read or listened to. I won't say this person said that as I go through the talk, but the people that I have read or listened to are John Piper, John MacArthur, Ray Steadman, Daryl Bock, John Gill, Spurgeon, Matthew Henry and others. But I would go into pride if I went on. So, <laughs> um, But um, yeah, so I've done a bit of research as I've gone through this because some of the verses take some wrestling with. Um, so we're just going to uh, read from Mark 8, 27 to 91, which will be up on the screen. And if you remember, we're going back a talk. Martin gave his talk last week. The week before, Ben gave his talk, and his talk finished on the blind man um, healed in Bethsaida. Okay, so I'll, I'll just read this aloud as you um, also read it if you want to. Now Jesus and his disciples went out to the towns of Caesarea Philippi and on the road he asked his disciples saying to them, who do men say that I am? Some answered John the Baptist, but some Elijah and others one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to him, you are the Christ. Then he strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He spoke these words openly, then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. So... Um, what I would also like to say before I start sharing what I've gleaned from the passages by the Holy Spirit and by reading these people that I've read um, is that this really is, you know, it's, it's my thoughts that I'm sharing with you to um, promote your thinking. Um, you know, it's, I'm not a Bible teacher, but I've looked at, at the verses and I want to share what's come to me whilst I've been sharing them. Okay. Um, so Jesus and his disciples um, came up from Bethsaida. So um, I meant to look on, on my map at home. Oh, there it is, look. There's Bethsaida, uh, and it follows the River Jordan halfway up to Caesarea Philippi. 
Um, it's a journey of about 20 miles. Um, so that's from Bognor to Chichester and back again. Mm -hmm. And that takes about five hours. So it's, it's quite a trek. Also, the terrain would be um, rocky because Caesarea Philippi is under Mount Hermon. Um, so it's rocky and hilly. Mm -hmm. I like to do this because it triggers our imagination to uh, think, what are these men you know, what's their environment? You know, they're going along this road, travailing along it, trekking along, talking to one another, and just to just bring it into our minds just how it, how it was. Um, I don't really need this anymore, Ben. If... Sure, we can turn that off. Yeah, that'd be grand. And then we get a bit more. Yeah. Am I speaking too loudly? No, no, no. Okay. I always tend to project my voice, so we are. Um, so um, oh, the other thing to notice on the map, which is too late now, but that's okay, is that there's another place called Caesarea on the coast, and yes. uh, not to be confused mm. with Caesarea Philippi, mm. um, which is up from Lake Galilee and along uh, the River Jordan. So, um, so now Jesus and his disciples went out to the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And that word towns is sometimes... Um, interpreted as villages so it's like the area of Caesarea Philippi um, so done that bit yeah so we're still in verse 27 our first verse and Jesus asked his disciples who do men say that I am mm -hmm. why I wonder did Jesus ask this question he wasn't interested in public opinion so why do you think he asked this? Any takers? Why do you think Jesus asked this of his disciples? Well, I think he was after provoking the disciples into figuring it out for yep. themselves. He was just moving them on in yep. their revelation of him. I yep. think that's what was going on. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I had pondered on as well. Um, so a teacher doesn't ask a question, unless anyone else wants to make a statement here. You know, a teacher never asks a question uh, that he needs the answer to it is to provoke thought and in this case with his disciples it's to pr promote their thinking and their faith and to bring an increased revelation and what their answer was was John the Baptist Elijah and others um, others said the prophets and all these people that they thought Jesus was were people who had been resurrected from the dead which I found quite amusing when I read it if you see what I mean and you know you just when you read it you just don't think of it like that but all these people that they thought Jesus was were people who had been resurrected from the dead um, but they had no consensus on on who he was and the disciples were not pe talking about people who opposed Jesus but people who supported Jesus but they missed who he truly was the Jews knew that Christ would come they knew this from the law and the prophets they expected an earthly king to set Israel free from Roman oppression. In verse 29, Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? Mm. So I'm going to let that question ring. And if just say six people could just say, so I'll start it by saying, Jesus is the son of the most high God. Mm -hmm. Just speak it out in the spirit. It will affect the atmosphere. We'll be exalting him as, we, as you speak out who you think Jesus is to you at this moment. He is the living word of God. He is the living word of God. Mm. Bread of life. The bread of life. Shepherd. King of, Shepherd, 
King of Kings. He's the great I am. He's the great I am. Our Saviour and Redeemer. Our Saviour and Redeemer. Absolutely marvellous. It's just lovely for that to ring in our ears and in our hearts. Um, so Peter says, answers in verse 29, and says, you are the Christ. In Matthew 16, which is our parallel um, scripture to this, um, it's a fuller description. It says, Peter, flowing in the Holy Spirit of truth, uh, says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Yeah. And in verse 17 of Matthew 16, Jesus replies and says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Peter had answered for the rest of the disciples. Apart from Mark 1.1, 1, 1, this is the first time that the name Christ has appeared in Mark. Mm. And possibly Peter didn't understand the full impact of what he had said. Some of the most profound things have come out of my mouth, seem to have bypassed my mind and just come straight from my spirit. Um, one, I've got a couple of, uh, I'm sure you've all got them in your own life, but I'll share a couple of mine. Um, it was um, a time in the hospice and this gentleman had been in a while. He was a hermit. You, you didn't go into him, you didn't wash him, you didn't take his food in. If he needed anything, you put it on the end of the bed. He was a hermit. He'd been a hermit all his life. His name was Sid. And I was on night duty. I went in. I do not know, except that maybe the Holy Spirit possessed me. I just don't know. But I put my hand on his arm and he woke up and he said, oh, you have the most gentle of touches. This is a man who's been a hermit being touched by a woman. You know, <laughs> hello. So I just said to him straight out of my mouth from my spirit, Sid, have you got a ticket to heaven? Why would you say that? Why would you say that? So he said, no, I don't. I said, has anybody ever prayed for you? And he said, no. So I prayed for him and he came straight through to the knowledge that we were brothers and sisters and we had a big brother and a glorious father. <laughs> and the next few days I was able to visit him um, on my days off, you know, uh, and be with him. And he died very soon after that. But he will be one of the people I will be so delighted to see when I get there. I'll wave across the throne there. Things come out of our mouths. I guess if we're like Peter, it said, didn't it, in Matthew 16, flowing in the Holy Spirit of truth. We need to be open to that. And the other astonishing thing, I know some of you have heard these stories before. Um, having lunch at the hospice with one of the consultants, he said he was worried about his son's mental health. And I just said, has he just finished reading Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment? And this fella nearly fell off his chair because he had just finished reading it. And I'd seen it happen to a friend of mine. I read it. It didn't affect me. But um, my, my friend, she just went into a, a black hole. And the same thing had happened to this young man. So, you know, let's be open to flow in the truth of the Holy Spirit to come flowing out of our mouths. That is just so beautiful. And I'm sure you, you have similar experiences in your own lives. We also know that a name is a hugely important thing, isn't it? So Elizabeth, my name means my God is my satisfaction. Um, John, the beloved of God. Helen, shining light. I didn't know you'd be here tonight, Helen. I wrote the talk. Apparently a Hebrew mother would not name her baby until she had seen him, except we know that John the Baptist was named by an angel. 
Um, God says, I've called you by your name and you are mine. If someone calls me by my name, I'm absolutely thrilled. I live in a fairly hostile environment presently. I'm hoping for it to come to an end soon. But, um, you know, there's two families on my estate who do actually call me by my name. And it's almost shocking, but it's also balm to my soul. And I think it's so important to remember to use one another's names when we're speaking to each other, because it gives us a sense of identity it is who we are, and you know, basically, we have been given our names by God. You know, so so wonderful. And also, when I'm praying for children in particular, I have extra names for them. Uh, Noah is a champion. It's prophetic. See, Shemen is a gatherer, a gatherer, Nathaniel a prophet and a healer. It's a delightful thing to do, and I know it will bear fruit. I mean, Noah's already a champion at football. So when Peter said, you are the Christ, in verse 30, it says, Jesus strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him. I wonder why. Can the microphone go around again? I think we've covered this in the last two talks, in all honesty. So it's just a rehearsal. Let's see if it's sunk in. Why, why weren't the disciples to tell this at this time? One of the reasons, I think, is that um, Jesus was trying to keep it quiet because he was trying to avoid too much attention from the Jewish authorities. Yep. And the Roman authorities. And the Roman authorities. Yeah. I think that's it, basically. And also, oh, Gilbert wants to. But it's also from the Pharisees and the Sadducees that would be really contentious. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. And as well, um, it's obvious that the disciples didn't really have a great understanding of who Jesus was. So that would be part of, of the equation as well. Thank you. Mark frequently shows the apostles and the crowd as confused and dumbstruck at the claims and actions of Jesus. Looking at Mark 4 and chapter, and Mark chapter, four and chapter 6, they had not understood about the loaves because their hearts were hardened. Mark 4, and they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the winds and sea obey him? Daryl Bock says that the disciples are to wait on making this proclamation until they understand what it truly means. And in verse 31, he began to teach them that the Son of Man, Jesus' preferred title for himself, must suffer many things be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. This is the first of three predictions of his suffering and death in Mark, Mark 9 and Mark 10. And it's clear that at least in Mark 9, on the second prediction, that they did not understand and were afraid to ask him. So back to Mark 8, 32. He spoke this word openly, and then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Matthew 16:22 says, Peter says, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. I think it's interesting that Peter just didn't go to the end of what <coughs> Jesus has said. He, he majored in on he would be um, rejected and killed, suffer and die. But then... It says after three days he would rise again. 
And it was obvious that Peter actually missed that bit of what Jesus said, and he majored on um, him being killed. Um, so, yeah, Matthew 16, 22 says, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Verse 33, But when he, Jesus, had turned around and looked at his disciples, he then rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. In the Greek, he had turned around here, indicates a sudden movement, accompanied by a keen searching look at his disciples. And then he singles Peter out and addresses him in their presence. He knew their hearts and minds. He knew that Peter was speaking for them all. And the form of words Jesus uses are the same as in Matthew 4, during Satan's testing of Jesus in the wilderness. Mm. Peter's rebuke possibly brought to Jesus' mind the vision of worldly glory, the crown without the cross. It was held out to him once again. And this explains the severity of Jesus' language. Mm. Peter was indeed rebuked, but the rebuke was aimed through Peter to the arch-adversary who was addressing him through Peter. Also, that turning around, that sudden movement to look at his disciples was also a physical act of turning his back on Peter and on the tempter. And I just wonder if when temptation is in our way, if we made a physical move away from temptation, we would perhaps be more successful at resisting temptation. Jesus finishes this rebuke by saying, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. God's interest was Jesus dying on the cross for our sin. Their interest was Jesus restoring the kingdom of Israel now. Mm. It's too easy for us all to be mindful of the things of men above the things of God. You know, speaking to myself, obviously, um, as well. Um, And it's a warning to us in our day. You know, we can be so occupied. I mean, how much time, I did say that one Sunday morning, how much time does it take to, you know, do the shopping, prepare the food, serve the food, clear up after the food, um, have some downtime, watch TV. Um, all everyday things, and most of them are necessary. But at times, these things, if we're not careful, will exclude the eternal things, the things that actually last forever, and the things that only are the only things that matter. I'm happy for anybody to um, interrupt and speak at any time. So the prediction of Jesus' death here is actually a turning point in the Gospel of Mark. Up until now, he's been up in the uh, regions around Galilee and in the Decapolis and up to Caesarea Philippi. And if you remember the healing of the blind man in um, the last verse of chapter 7 that Ben spoke about last time, uh, time before... Um, you know, that was a sign of the Messiah. It actually, um, you know, you can look at Isaiah 35 verse 5 and see that this is a sign of the Messiah. And what Jesus is doing as he's going around is performing miracles, healings and signs and wonders, revealing who the Messiah is. Mm. Um, So, but now this is a huge, huge change. Now he's on his way to Jerusalem. 
to the darkness of Gethsemane, the judgment hall of Pilate, the whipping post, the bloody cross. He hasn't yet told them he will die on a cross, no. but crucifixion was known mm. at this time, and at this time many thousands of Jews had already been crucified. I think also that even though the disciples recognise him as Messiah, they also soon expect him to appear in outward pomp and grandeur and restore the kingdom to Israel. It's, you know, it's probably still in their hearts. And to rectify this thinking, Jesus gives them prospect of something quite different. So the following points Jesus makes reflect this, I think. When, in verse 34, when he had called the people to himself with his disciples, with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And there are steps of discipleship here. So the first step is um, let him deny himself. It's not the same as like self-denial, say I won't watch the TV for 24 hours or whatever, or I'll... Um, I'll knock off the BBC app on my iPad. It's not that kind of self-denial. It's, um, or fasting, or like we do in Lent sometimes. Well, not me, but uh, that's not what Jesus is saying. What's actually happening here, what Jesus is explaining is, denying self is to give up our agenda, our right to run our own lives, to realise that we do not own ourselves. We... Have, don't have the right over what we are going to do and where we might go. In denying ourselves, we give up our rights to these things. It's huge. It's much more, it's much more than I ever imagined before I studied this. Yeah. <sighs> Basically, Jesus has the lordship. You know, he does have the lordship. But, you know, we come across areas, don't we, daily, where he doesn't have the lordship. Yeah. And that's when we can deny ourselves and say, okay, Lord, I give you the Lordship on that. We don't belong to ourselves. You are bought with a price. I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. My old man is crucified and I am a new man. So that's Corinthians 6, 19 to 20 and 2 Corinthians 5, 17. That was just step one in discipleship. Step two take up the cross, take up your cross. Take up your cross because that is what I'm going to do. What actually does it mean? For him, it meant official opposition. It meant to be treated like a criminal, hung up on a tree for everyone to see, unspeakable suffering, and it led to death. My old man wants to be accepted, wants to be comfortable, wouldn't mind a bit of recognition, acceptance and honour. My new, my new self wants Jesus more than a shame-free life and more than freedom from suffering. So taking up the cross is not just a hardship to bear or a difficult spouse to live with or a bullying neighbour. The cross stood for shame, humiliation, degradation, it was demeaning, it was painful, and it leads to death. So therefore, the cross that Jesus is looking towards and is speaking of here 
are the things in our lives which humble us, expose us, offend our pride, shame us. I was at a public prayer meeting recently and I overstepped the mark and I think my prayer slurred somebody. And the person next to me, I wasn't praying with friends or people I know, the person next to me said, well, that person's a person of integrity. And so I said, I'm really sorry, I don't know them personally. I apologise to her and I ask God out loud to forgive me. But it's a big thing to be um, pulled up in a public prayer meeting. But, you know, because I'm studying this, I welcomed it because it is an absolute picture of the application of the cross. It's humiliating, it's, I was in the wrong, but I was corrected. And that was such a good thing. So, you know, face these things if it happens to you. It's more likely to happen outside of the family because, you know, we're not known there. Okay. Um, so going back to taking up the cross, um, yeah, so... So um, the, the cross that Jesus is looking for in our lives is that which humbles us, that which exposes us, that which offends our pride and shames us. I was looking at this earlier and um, I felt very much as well, because it is very heavy, isn't it, this yeah. bit? But I felt very much that, and you, you may be about to say this, that Jesus is preparing himself. Absolutely. Uh, for what he's got, yeah. got to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, perfect. Lovely. Thank you, Ben. So take up your cross here means to recognise these things, you know, take that correction, apply the cross, accept them, embrace them. A scripture I've been living in for a while, 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9, it's um, my grace is sufficient for you for my strength is perfected in weakness. Therefore most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. But going further on in that chapter, that's 2 Corinthians 12 so about verse 10, it says, Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And it's not just those big things, however. It's the little things too. Do you feel hurt when someone forgets your name? Irritated when your card is declined? Do, do corrective words hurt even when you know they are justified? Angry, angry when people cut you up on the road, affronted when someone pushes past you in a queue. The world's way is to avoid these, uh, escape them, or even strike back. Okay, that's the world's way, but it's not his way for us. The way of God's kingdom is to recognise these things, welcome them, and ask to be changed. And that's the application of the cross. Step three. So, I mean, it's huge, isn't it? It's discipleship. And, but as Ben says, Jesus is speaking to prepare himself. Step three. In the original Greek, all of this is in the present continuous tense, meaning do it now and keep on doing it. Yeah. Follow me really means do what I do and, and say what I say. That's obedience. It's not looking for perfection. We're being sanctified. Um, he's simply telling us what it means to be a disciple. Face the difficulty and ask him for the grace and power to do it. Love your enemy and keep loving him. Be kind to the ungrateful. Bless those who despitefully use you. Thus we are to keep on denying ourselves. Keep on 
taking up our cross, keep on following him, being obedient, all in the present, continuous tense. It's a program for life, okay? I'm hugely challenged um, by this. Now to verse 35. Um, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. So I found this and the next verses difficult, but I think Jesus is saying, be prepared to die for me if that is what I require. So once when I was in, lived in Cavendish Road, I remember the moment because I was in the conservatory. I just was, you know, having walking around in the conservatory. And I think it was around my, the time that my sister, my, I've still got one sister, but my other sister died of cancer. And I said to God, I don't mind dying as a martyr, Father, but I don't want Satan to take my life. Mm. And I meant it, and I have continued to mean it. Mm. So it's something I live. Some people have died for their faith. Stephen, Simon Peter, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Wycliffe, mm. Tyndale, and many, many more. And we don't know if we will be called to this. And if we are called to it, if we will be up for it, if we will actually succeed in saying, yeah, okay, I won't deny my faith. I won't deny Jesus. I would rather die. For myself, I pray that I will succeed. And if I don't succeed in that, I would be brokenhearted. But if I don't succeed, I would be brokenhearted, but I would still have eternal life, okay? I think as well to mention here um, that there are two audiences as we move into the next um, bit of scripture. Because it says in verse 34, going back up there, it says, when he had called the people to himself with his disciples also. So the people are those who've um, followed at a distance from Bethsaida. Um, and, but they're obviously within earshot now. And he's called them to join them. And I, this is my understanding. It may not be God's understanding, but, you know, hopefully it will promote your thinking as well. So, so I, he's making reference to his disciples that they must die to their old man, that the old man must be crucified and they must live in the new man made in the image of Christ. One must die that the other may live, giving glory to God. But to the wider audience, those who, um, I'm sorry, I've lost my place there. Um, and then to the wider audience, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Verse 37, or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? My thoughts on these verses after much wrestling is that he is speaking to the people in verse 34. And so some of these people would be scribes, some would be Pharisees, some would be curious ones, some um, but not convinced. But it's a warning as far as I'm concerned, as I think it, but I'm, I'm not saying this is God's understanding, about eternal damnation and an invitation to eternal life. So he's got two audiences here. Um, verse 38 for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the son of man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels. 
expositors that I've read here state that this is the day of judgment. Whoever shall refuse through pride and wickedness to acknowledge and serve Jesus here shall be excluded from his kingdom hereafter. And then he said to them, this is chapter 9 verse 1, Assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. I have heard it said that this might be referring to Peter, James and John being present at the Transfiguration. But what I have gleaned from what I have read and the commentaries I've seen view, suggest it means his resurrection, his ascension and the great outpouring of the Holy Spirit the amazing salvations and healings and miracles that occurred as described in Acts. And many of the disciples would have partaken and um, seen and experienced that great outpouring and those thousands of people being saved and many people being healed. Mm. And let's hope for a greater outpouring of the Holy Spirit for us now. I so hope that wasn't too heavy, um, but please do comment. Um, as I say, it, they're my thoughts especially over the difficult verses that I've found difficult anyway. So please do feel free to add to those or that's, that's my offering. It, it was interesting in that he's quite hard at them when he says, take up your cross. That's, he's quite firm with them and he needs to be. He's rebuked Peter and that's quite a statement mm. but in the next chapter they're talking about who is greater of the disciples mm. it's almost as if they've gone in one ear and out the other ear they still have this lack of faith or hardness of heart it's sometimes said so he, he's it is amazing that he still carries on with his disciples but he knows the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end which is so comforting for us as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'm still intrigued by verse uh, 33, but when he turned around and looked at his disciples. Yeah. Because that's not in Matthew or in Luke. No. As far as I can see, it's just Mark records this. And I'm fascinated by this. Why does Mark record it? What is the significance of that? You know, why would he turn around and look at his disciples and then rebuke Peter? Peter. And I'm just, the only th thing I can come up with is that he must have been perhaps looking to see how his disciples were reacting to what Peter was saying. Mm. You know, were they, were they the, uh, thinking the same as Peter? Yes. Were they disagreeing with Peter? I just find it fascinating that the scripture records this moment. Mm. You know, mm. do you have anything to say? Um, only that, um, from, I don't know whether it's by revelation or from the things I've read, um, but that he was looking um, to see if they were of the same heart and mind as Peter, and that that's what he gleaned from turning around and searching their hearts and minds. Uh, that he gleaned, and uh, in several cases w where I either read or got by revelation, it says that they had the same mind as Peter, and that Peter spoke for them. Yes. Right, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah Peter yeah. spoke for them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I just think it's interesting, 
that it should be recorded. There yeah. has to be a purpose for that. The only other thought I just want to say is that I think it just reminds me that God is interested in our reactions. Mm. Yeah. You know, that, that kind of when someone says something, he's not just looking at that person, he's looking at our hearts when they're saying <laughs> Absolutely, it. Absolutely, yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, and the, the other thing about that is um, it's interesting, isn't it, that Peter takes him aside. Um, yeah. So obviously, presumably the disciples didn't hear what Peter said, oh. perhaps. Yeah. Uh, well, that's not obvious, but it's possible that they didn't hear. But then Jesus is just looking straight into their hearts, isn't yeah. it? Into the disciples' yeah. hearts. Yeah. And it yeah. seems like, I don't know whether he rebukes Peter openly or whether he rebukes Peter privately, but, but it, it's, it's just the importance of this prediction. Mm. This is the first time Jesus has mentioned his death. Yeah. And, um, and I noticed, um, compared with the other two predictions, that this one talks about him suffering. So verse 31 uses yeah. the word suffering. The yeah. other two predictions don't. So uh, it's just such a challenge, isn't it, for Peter and the other disciples. And I did think it's wonderful that in 1 Peter, there's some really brilliant promises about suffering. Yes, there so are. So Peter obviously learned yeah, his Yeah, he did. <laughs> yeah, eventually. that's a good point. Yeah. Lizzie, thank, thank you for sharing about taking up the, up the cross and following him. I've, I've, it's given me a deeper understanding of it. I've often thought about this, and I've often thought perhaps when I've been having a funny five minutes or somebody's been having a moan about how life was treating them, whatever. I mean, I have sometimes said to them and also to the Lord, do you know, Lord, I think about what you went through Mm. When you, what you suffered mm. by going to that cross and I thought how he was spat upon mm. all the ridicule everything that happened to him I've sometimes said to the Lord Lord what right have I got to mm. expect everything to be hunky dory mm. it's certainly what everything wasn't okay with you you went through an awful lot mm. and you're supposed to be my example mm. that I need. Mm. I need to be willing to lay things aside. Mm. Things that I might have thought were my right. Absolutely. Yeah. But they're not. Mm. But there is a deeper meaning to that that take up my cross, mm. take up your cross, mm. and follow me. Mm. Mm. Thank you, Heidi. It's, it's interesting, it's a very deliberate, proactive thing. Because you use it as a, an English idiom, uh, basically, you know, I've got a bad leg, that's my cross I have to bear. Mm. As if it's, it's something that's just down and you know, yeah. it's not, I'm very passive about it, but I just put up with it. It's a much more deliberate thing. It's a much more yeah. thought through thing and, mm. and it, it, it's, it's costly. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting, I think, um, you know, we want to see people healed. Um, you know, I'd like to be healed. Um, but there is obviously, as Heidi was saying, he is our example and he did suffer. And so there is a place for suffering. Um, I think it's to change my character into the character of Christ. Um, and I think that it will build spiritual muscle in me um, um, if I suffer, as I, if I, and I do, um, that it will build spiritual muscle in me 
um, that will enable me, and anyone who has this revelation, will enable me to carry something of his glory. Because I think in 1 Peter 4 it says somewhere about um, suffering and then the spirit of Christ and of glory may rest upon you. And that's the same as in Corinthians where it says you've got all this suffering, but I'd rather glory in that, that the power and spirit of Christ may rest upon me. So, you know, those are my hopes in the particular sufferings that I have, and you all have your own areas of suffering. Um, but so that's my hoping through, through it. I would li- like to be healed, uh, and that's my hope and expectation. But until, that season, until the season of suffering is over, I want to build spiritual muscle and have my character changed. Just to add to that, Lizzie, that was well, the other verse. It talks, I can't think where it is, but about filling up the afflictions of Christ, yes, which is partly yes. what you were saying yeah, there. Yeah. But actually, yeah. amazingly, if we're walking with him, yeah. then we're somehow yeah. kind of contributing. Obviously, Jesus did everything that was needed on the cross, but, mm-hmm. but there's still something that we're... Yeah. we're even, as a, even if we're interceding for someone and, yeah. and taking on the pain of their, yeah. someone's suffering. Yeah. That's yeah. Um, I'm just looking at uh, verse 33 again, mm-hmm. um, where it, he says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I always read that and thought, that's really harsh. Yeah. But actually reading it again, I think you might have mentioned this, he's, he's actually, um, it's like two entities. Yeah. Yeah. He's talking to Satan, yeah. and then he addresses the disciples with the, you do not have in mind the mm. things of God, but the things of men. Yeah. So it, I, I had a different understanding now. Yeah. To what yeah, yeah. Thank good. you for that. That's good. Excellent. I just wonder whether um, the disciples said something because he, they wanted to make the right things. Sorry, Heather, could you say that again, please? Okay. Um, difficult to explain. Just say it again, I might get it. Yeah, oh, sorry. When he... Well, when he began to teach the disciples, mm-hmm. he just said, who do you think I am? Mm. I just wonder whether they just said these words because they wanted... Jesus to hear the right things, right? But didn't actually know the right things. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. One thing I um, I was blessed at when I was having a look at this earlier, Lizzie, because I thought well, I really should look at this guy. So I've got to do a section a bit later on. Yeah. And this is foundational for the next mm-hmm. for the next kind okay. of section, really. And uh, Caesarea Philippi, mm-hmm. I'm sure you came across this and decided to leave it on the cutting room floor, possibly. I didn't know this that, that it's it's as you said, it's at the foot of Mount Hermon, mm-hmm. and there's a massive cliff, and it's a really pagan city. And um, I think there's actually a cave somewhere um, dedicated to Pan, to the god Pan. And you've actually got a place there which is seen as the gates of Hades. Right. Or it's Hades, which is really interesting because in the Matthew bit, 
uh, Jesus says, I'll build my church and yeah, the gates yeah. of Hades won't yeah. prevail against yeah, yeah. that oh, that's when he's talking to Peter. Yeah, yeah. Um, but also when, and in Matthew as well, uh, I can't think where it is in Matthew now, the parallel passage. 17. 17. 16, seven, it's Matthew 16. 17. 16. It's Matthew 16. And you, you, you read this bit, Lizzie, where, Jesus said, where Peter says, um, you're the son of the living God. Yeah. Um, they're, they're surrounded by um, kind of the imperial cult mm. for the Romans and also idols and basically mm. dead gods. Mm. And he's emphasising you're the son of the, the living, living God. God. So yeah, brilliant. It, it was great what you said about how sometimes we say things and we don't realise yeah. how anointed they are. Yeah, yeah. You know, Peter was really declaring, yeah, yeah, yeah. declaring yeah, out yeah. the truth about yeah. Jesus. Yeah. And it's his identity, because what you were saying, Heather, is that the disciples don't know who Jesus is. Oh, yeah. And they've great, got to know got who Jesus is before yeah. they know that he's going to die. You know. Yeah. His identity comes first. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. Doing well. Thank you, Heather. Thanks, Ben. Um, I was just thinking about poor old Peter, really, because, <laughs> you know, he, he's the man who, who has foot in the mouth, mouth disease, yeah. didn't they, really? Um, but I suppose that one of the things that happened to Peter was that his hope was dashed. I mean, one minute he's, he's, he's got the revelation, you are the Christ. Yeah. And to the Jews, of course, that meant the Messiah, that meant the one who was going to deliver them from all their enemies, was going to bring the kingdom in, who would, who would all the glorious promises of the Old Testament would be now fulfilled. They'd be that special people living in peace and glory and and all the rest of it and then jesus is saying i'm going to die and i, I can understand peter's reaction all his hopes were being dashed it just kind of like you know they're just smashed down and so he's he's angry he's angry with jesus he this can't be right you know you're squashing all my hopes here and poor old peter he just missed it completely and missed the real hope and isn't that like all of us, really? It's certainly like me, that we can have hopes, but they're not really hoping God. They're just our hopes. Mm. You know, they're the misunderstanding of what God might be doing or, mm. or saying. And then when God does something different, we get all upset because our hopes... And that's what happens in life, isn't it? You know, we, we hope for good. We hope that our children will all be saved. We hope that so many things. And then it don't work out and we get angry and upset and can't understand it and it's a lesson to me hope thou in god amen nobody thank else thank you lord you're our hope yeah thank you john sorry that was a bit <laughs> fine with me just want to say uh, lizzie thank you for saying about the, the the fact that it was all in that it was all written in you know continuous tense mm -hmm. present continuous, continuous. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because it's so easy to think, well, this, I don't want this to go on like this, or I, I keep, can't keep going on in this way. Mm -hmm. But, but uh, it's the Holy Spirit who's, who's the enabler, yeah. thankfully. Amen. Thank you, Ros. Mm -hmm. Did people have different thoughts to me about the verses... You know, I said about one was addressed to the disciples about, you know, this is how you develop in discipleship. So, um, you know, you, you need to live in your new man. And then the other part was to the wider audience that had come up from Bethsaida. 
um, and it was an invitation to eternal life or is, is I mean it took me ages to discover to discover that and to think about it so you know do people have other thoughts Yeah. In verse, oh, I don't know what the translation says, but in the NIV at verse 34, it says, Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples. Mm. So it's as if there's a, there's a split there. Yeah. The, we've got the get behind me, Satan bit, which is awesome to be hinted to the disciples as well. But after that, it seemed to then do it the crowd and the disciples if he's speaking to, to all of them at that, mm. from that point onwards. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I'm just wondering as well, I think I agree with you, Lizzie, that um, it probably would have been... I'm reading a book called Jesus the Jewish Theologian <laughs> at the moment by Brad Young, and um, it probably would have been quite a Jewish thing, what he says. Uh, what will a man... You know, if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul, yeah. what does it profit? Yeah. I think that would probably... Everyone would have nodded sagely. Okay. At that, I'd have thought. Um, but then, of course, the next bit where he talks about who is ashamed of me uh, in this adulterous and sinful generation, that reminded me of the bit um, earlier where he's, the Pharisees are seeking a sign. Mm. You know, in Mark eight twelve, why does this generation seek a sign? So I thought that um, get to, what we don't get there is how everyone's reacting, do we? No. <laughs> no. I was wondering if it's not like the bit, is it, where some people turn away from Jesus, don't they? In John 6. John 6. Yeah. I wonder if it's... Because you don't get that in Mark. We no. don't... So no. I don't know. Yeah. It took me ages to see that there were two, two audiences. That's really what I'm saying, I think. Yeah. 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 I was always interested how Peter is very much the spokesperson for the 12. Yeah. yeah. But he's... He is outspoken, yeah. mm. and so is James and John, the sons mm -hmm. of thunder. Mm -hmm. But he's resilient. He <laughs> stands up, knocked down, stands up, knocked yeah. down. Yeah. But in the end, he stands up, yeah. and he acknowledges his crucifixion. And you no, know, I can't be crucified that way, upside, upside down. down. It can't yeah. be done. Yeah. Same so as my Lord. It's, yeah. I think it's something we need to understand that being knocked down is not to stay down. It's yeah. like I was listening to someone else. The oh, I can't remember. Oh, it was Men's Breakfast. You don't tell a child, baby, when it falls down because it hadn't walked properly. Oh, you silly thing! Why did you do that? Mm. You tell it to get up, and mm. it's it's that um, sense of which we need to. Okay, ah. Yeah. You open your mouth, you put your foot in it. Yeah. Never mind, put it behind you. Yeah, definitely. Well, well, I love dear old Peter because, you know, he, he's, he's the guy that walks on water. Yeah. You know, he, he is the guy that takes the risks. And, of course, if you take the risk, you do come unstuck, don't you? You know, you, it, it's the people who stand up, who take the lead, who get out the front... They're the ones that risk the embarrassment. Mm -hmm. They're the ones that risk, you know, failing publicly. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the difficulty of a pastor's life, really. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, but other people can fail, and hardly anybody notices it, but you fail, 
you make a mistake and it's really public, it's mm -hmm. right out there, mm -hmm. that's the price of leadership. Mm -hmm. That's the, co or the cost of leadership. Mm. Cost of taking the initiative is sometimes going to fall on your face. And you have mm -hmm. to be resilient. Mm -hmm. One other thought on a completely different, completely different line, which just occurs to me, uh, where he says, oh, what will a man, uh, no, what, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? I was thinking, that's prophetic of the Antichrist, really. He gains the world and mm. loses his own soul. Mm. Yeah. It, he's the he's the he's the the zenith of that kind of thinking. Mm. You know, yeah, I want the world. Mm. I want the world, mm. and he loses his own soul. Mm. Yeah, that's the cape, That's the way my mind works. Thank you. Oh, just to say, uh, Lizzie, I thought your interpretation of nine one is. Is correct because that oh, good. any commentary you go to, they'll say, "Oh, this is a terribly difficult verse." Yeah. Um, and they're about. They say it could mean this, could mean one, could mean two, could mean three, could mean four, could mean five. But, but and I like. But I think what you said about Jesus' death, resurrection, and Pentecost. Yeah. Is the kingdom of God come with it power? It is. Yeah. Um, and it's quite nice for. where it says there are some standing here who will not taste death. So if so, obviously Judas died. Yeah. Um, so there were some who tasted death. And you could interpret it, though, as Peter, James, and John seeing the transfiguration yeah. because none of the other disciples saw that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. 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 It's the kind of glory we hope for, isn't it? The outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Just so, so needed. Yes, I was under quite a lot of attack, actually. When I drove here, I normally would pick Ruth up. Um, but I was coming a tiny bit early, and then I drove up um, on the big roundabout, and I, you know, you t you go to turn right to come back down uh, on the on that upper Bogner Road. You come down, and then you would come down to William Street that way. Well, I'd stopped there. I was waiting for traffic to come past me there, and then the traffic wasn't coming, so I moved out. But a car moved out from the Hotham Park. Car park mm. just moved straight in front of me, and I had to slam my brakes on because you're just not expecting someone. He was actually coming across the dual carriageway to join, and it was a very near miss. Um, I wasn't going to share that. I don't like to make much of what the enemy does, but it was um, quite a startling moment, really. Yeah. So yeah, but God is good. God is always good. Thank you, Lizzie, and thank you all because it's. It's nice when you can all share. Yeah, we love that bit. And two, each one of us has something to share. And sometimes it's only something small, but it's there to bless us all. So in that respect, thank you all for coming and sharing. God bless you all. I love this bit where we all do the sharing. I just absolutely love it. It's just so, so good, isn't it?